Welcome back to True Crime Trine, a podcast where the planets align and three friends get together to talk about true crime, astrology, and any other weird bullshit we can fit into this podcast. We are your hosts, Hannah, Sarah, and Meredith. Welcome to episode 56. <laughs> okay. have a little bit of housekeeping i have something to say too okay do you want to go first or shall i hit it sure mine's just a netflix recommendation oh okay fun well i got feedback from one of our listeners my cousin steven and he was listening to episode 54 when sarah and i did cold cases and when we start we we're talking about how we're headed to Philadelphia and he's looking at his GPS and he was also just above Philly. So <laughs> he tracked with us. Yeah. He was like, how appropriate. <laughs> he cool. also wanted to let us know that provolone is the best on Philly cheesesteak sandwiches. All right. And that a magistrate is also the person who is woken up in the middle of the night to set bail if you've been arrested in the evening hours. Ooh. Ooh. That sucks to have that job. Yeah. Can you imagine? Fucking blows. Like, Where's my nine to five? Work-life balance. <laughs> my comment is like, you know you're fucked when that dude rolls in with bedhead and a fucking scowl. He's not. He's like, excuse me? He's not setting your bail low, let me tell you. No. Don't wake me up in the middle of the night. Just for this, your family's going to have to put forth their second born. <laughs> Assuming you're the first. But yeah, so thanks, Stephen, for reaching out. It's always good to chat with you. And uh, that's what I had for housekeeping. Okay. Then I have a little smidge. I was catching up on the episodes that I missed during my hiatus. And I was listening to um, Sarah's one about Keith Jesperson, and it sounded really familiar. And I realized I just watched a documentary about this on Netflix. Oh, my gosh. So there's actually like a mini series on Netflix called Catching Killers. It has mm-hmm. two seasons. They're both four episodes apiece. Did you watch that Sweet. one, Sarah? I did not. And like they bring back uh, detectives from these bigger cases. So I think the first episode is BTK. So they brought back the detectives from that time and like the people at the newspaper and stuff. And then I think it was a two-parter on the Happy Face Killer. So when oh, you were cool. talking about um the random woman that popped up, I was like, this sounds really familiar. Uh-huh. It's good. Which random woman? Because there's a lot of them. Well, the one that was, like, said that her and her boyfriend did it. Oh. Whatever her yeah, name. Yeah, yeah, It was, like, a hard-to-pronounce, like, Slasovsky or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that, I think that's a two-parter on, like, the first season was this one. So if you haven't got enough of Keith Jesperson, there's Catching Killers. And then if you haven't got enough of Dorothea, there is also a miniseries on Netflix called Worst Roommate Ever. <laughs> and uh, she's one of the roommates. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, she's not the only one? There's No, more? it's a little mini-series as well. Okay. Uh, I think it has maybe six episodes. Yeah, she's definitely a bad fucking roommate. Yeah, no thanks. Uh, I think she's the first one, but yeah. So, if you need something to watch, there you go. <laughs> I do, actually. <laughs> well, there's always Criminal Minds as well. Uh, I love Criminal Minds. Yeah. I'm in mid-season eight. Dang. All right. Anyway, that's what's on Netflix. Corner. Sweet. So I guess it's my turn to do this. Got this little script that I really struggled writing, but we'll see how this goes. I've called it Old School German Murderers. Okay. Sweet. Buckled up. I was talking to Sarah the other day about how it's been kicking around in my mind to maybe learn German. But I haven't learned German yet. So sorry in advance. (laughs) (laughs) And I still only know one phrase... Which is Weiss die Schule, die Schule ist da drüben. Which is, where is the school? The school is over there. Oh, that's the most random phrase. <laughs> it's in my brain. I can't get rid of it. Right. Well, let's go to Germany. Specifically, 
Weimar Germany and that period of peace between the First and Second World Wars. And we're going there because it was absolutely full of murderers during that time period. And I'm going to cover five of them today. Wow. And this episode is basically going to be the prerequisite required for my next episode, which is when I'll do Peter Curtin, (gasps) the vampire of Dusseldorf. You are doing Curtin. Yay. Mm -hmm. Oh, you took that one away from me because I didn't, I couldn't with the animals. You said I could. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Definitely. I read a book. I had forgotten about it, but yes, totally. Please do. Because I cannot. I will not focus too much on the animals, but there is definitely one animal thing I'm going to talk about. Yeah. And Peter Curtin's also a Gemini, so if I have this right in my mind, the Peter Curtin episode will air right in the middle of Gemini season, so. It will, yeah. Perfect. Oh, God. I haven't had a beer in a while. (laughs) All right. So, we're going to do a little history lesson first, because it's me. Yeah. We've come to expect it. Yes. So, the Great War... World War One was looking pretty dire to the Germans by 1918, which led to a revolution, the abdication of Kaiser Wilhelm II, formal surrender to the Allies, and the establishment of the Weimar Republic, officially known as the German Reich. And so they basically got rid of their king and established a constitutional republic. So theoretically, quote-unquote, supreme power was held by the people and their elective representatives. However, we all know how this ends. Hitler will seize power in 1933. So in that between time, though, Germany was struggling. So even though the war ended in 1918, the severe food shortages in Germany continued until 1923. After signing the Treaty of Versailles, Germany had to annex 13% of its territory and was forced to demilitarize. Uh, These terms were somewhat easier to swallow than Articles 231 and 235 of the treaty. So Article 231 declared that Germany was entirely responsible for the outbreak of the war and thus responsible for all the loss that allies had suffered. And this article has been called the Guilt Clause and humiliated the German citizens. And then Article 235 was the one about reparations. And the treaty would say that Germany would pay out 20 billion gold marks, which is equivalent to about 5 billion U.S. dollars, to the victors between 1920 and 1931. And so more than half of this money for the reparations would come from loans from New York bankers. And the majority Hmm. of the reparations would go to France, Britain, Italy, and Belgium. But the U.S. did receive $100 million. Okay. In no way did Germany actually have 20 billion gold marks, and so this led to hyperinflation, with the government just printing more money to the point where it was worthless. Mm -hmm. No food, no money. And don't worry, there was also a stew of political turmoil and several attempted power seizures, not least the beer hall pushed in 1923 by Hitler. There is a short period of relative stability from 1924 to 1929, which is referred to as the Golden Era but that won't last because the onset of the Great Depression in the U.S. would also send shockwaves through Germany's already shaky economy. And by 1932, the unemployment rate in Germany had soared to 30.8%. Oh, wow. The highest the unemployment rate would be in the U.S. during the Great Depression was 24.9. Wow. Jeez. So it hit us hard. They were already down. It, yeah, that's even worse. Morris just ate dinner. Do you see him run again? <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's a rough time. And all the murders I'm going to talk about today happened before the golden period. So it's going to happen in that mostly in the time right after World War I has ended. There's no food. There's no money. And we're all embarrassed and feeling guilty. Anyway, end of history lesson. Time for some murders. Our first asshole is Johann Mayer. He was born in 1886 and would lose his left forearm in an explosives accident while he was working at Whoa. a quarry. He would be known as Stumpf Arm for the rest of his life. But on the bright side, he was deemed unfit for military service and got to miss out on World War I. It's definitely a war you wanted to miss. Yeah. Unfortunately, his disability also affected his ability to find steady work, and Johann would end up leading a transient and criminal life, stealing and poaching and sleeping outdoors. And one article even said he would sleep in hollowed out tree trunks, which is actually kind of adorable. Uh, yeah. <laughs> He's like a Totoro. Yeah. Yeah. 
He was still able to make friends and even had girlfriends, a thought which makes me just want to hurl myself off a building. Hey, baby, you want to meet me back at my tree trunk? I'll show you what I can do with this stump. I was going to say, let me show you what this stump farm can do. Maria Dom was unfortunate enough to be Johan's girlfriend as well as his first murder victim. So I guess I haven't been a murder victim, so things are going fine. Maria was 23 when she was shot in the woods by Johan for no discernible reason in March 1918. Just bye-bye. Okay. Maria number two, Maria Falk, was 28. She was murdered um, about 11 months later in February 1919. There was a reason here because she did actually become aware of Johan's illegal poaching activities and he wanted her to shut up. <laughs> he didn't seem to have a type as he then murdered two men who were supposedly hmm. friends of his. Uh, Nicholas Schuler on March 30th, 1919 and Lorenz Reuter on April 26th, 1919. In an attempt to avoid detection and more likely to confuse the police, he decapitated his two male victims and then switched their heads. <gasps> oh, oh my God. It's so weird. But all that would really say is that there's two dead bodies now. Yeah. So it sounds counterproductive. His last victim would be Katharina Frost, a 34-year-old widow with three children and another one of Johann's girlfriends. The article kept saying lovers. No. 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 This was a very practical relationship where she would hide and shelter him and he would give her gifts of meat. So true love. Me. To be fair, though, that's my favorite gift. Like some beef jerky. And to be fair, she probably didn't have very much meat at this time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And she had three kids. So he was poaching meat and then giving her meat. Yeah. Okay. Johan was on a spree by this point, and he murdered Katharina in May 1919. So that's four victims in four months. Damn. Johan was a known criminal and was invested by the police on July 9th, 1919. But he wasn't taken into custody until August 10th, 1922. So he got a couple. He got a couple oh. years to, cool. to hang out. We'll get to you, I guess so. He would not confess to the crimes during his trial, but he would submit a full confession shortly before his execution. He described oh. his crimes as quote a shot, a scream, all over. Uh, okay, to the point. He was executed on de- bing, bing, December 29th, nineteen twenty-three, by the guillotine. Yes. Snippity snappity. Do they switch his head with someone else? My God, they should have. (laughs) (laughs) I did think it was appropriate that he got his head cut off after he decapitated two of his victims. Yeah. Yeah. Some of these are pretty short because there's actually not that much information about them. So we're going to move on to Friedrich Schumann was born in 1893, didn't have a great male role models as his grandfather was a convicted child molester and his father was a career criminal and an alcoholic. So not the best. Not good. Uh, Friedrich did serve in World War I and was awarded an Iron Cross for marksmanship. Uh-oh. An award that may have come as a bit of a surprise to his family, as in 1909, when he was 16, he accidentally shot and killed a female cousin. Not an accident. Yes, he would later admit that he had shot her because he thought she was too loud. So I guess his marksmanship was fine. He's like, I'm a good marksmanship when you don't scare the fucking deer away, so, uh... Just shut up. We got the Iron Cross, but he did not care for military life, so he deserted in 1917. Ooh. And began the crime spree that would earn him the nickname of the Terror of Falkenhagen Lake. Falkenhagen? Falkenhagen. <laughs> Falkenhagen. I was stumbling on that. I haven't started learning German, guys, but I should because I keep coming back to Germany for my murders. Uh, he would commit seven murders, 15 attempted murders, five arsons, 11 rapes, along with various assorted robberies and whatnot. And his favorite hunting ground was the Lover's Lanes around Falkenberg. So he would surprise the couples, shoot the male partner, rape the female partner before killing her as well. God. So, the residents of Falkenberg were living in a bit of terror. Yeah. Yeah. The end of his spree came on August 18, 1919, when he shot Wilhelm Nilbach, a woodland supervisor, whatever that is. Like a forest... Like a forest ranger, I guess? Yeah, maybe. So, Wilhelm had seen Frederick skulking around the woods and approached him. 
Sorry, it's Friedrich. Friedrich. He's like, why are you being so fucking creepy? Yeah, creepy doing the woods. (laughs) I love that word, skulking, though. I know, it's a good (laughs) one. Friedrich shot Wilhelm in the stomach, but Wilhelm was able to get off a shot himself, hitting Friedrich in the shoulder. Wilhelm did not survive, but he was able to describe his attacker before he passed away. And so Friedrich would be arrested two days later when he attempted to get his shoulder wound treated at a doctor's office. Sus. Yeah. (laughs) Friedrich went on trial on July 20th, where he was convicted of murder and sentenced to seven death penalties, one life sentence, and 10 years hard labor. But one death penalty was enough, and Friedrich was executed on August 27th, 1921. Like Johann, Friedrich was beheaded, but in Friedrich's case, it was by a nice big axe. Oh, okay. Oh. All right, so we know more about this next fellow, Carl Grossman. Who will live up to his name. Gross man. I'm sure gross means something different in German. English jokes. Anyway, Carl was born on December 13th, 1863. Sagittarius, gotta watch out for those. And his first <laughs> recorded crime occurred when he was 20, when he was sentenced to three days in jail for begging. You know, not, not a big deal, but he would continue serving short sentences for begging, theft, and vagrancy until, in 1896, he was convicted of, quote, unnatural sexual assault on a sheep. Oh, no! I'm not no. sure if he sheep. went to prison for this, but if he did, it wasn't for very long, as in 1897, he was convicted of sexual assault against a 12-year-old girl. No. Oh, Jesus. And he still didn't see much jail time, as in 1899. This is a bad one. He was convicted of brutally raping a four-year-old girl who died shortly after his trial. (gasps) Oh, my God. But fucking finally, he was sentenced, but only to 15 years hard labor. Are you fucking kidding me? I am not. But he, he did seem like it served the whole time. They did not let him out early. But just of hard labor, like... I know. At 15, it's He doesn't deserve disgusting. to be on the planet. Nope. No. Especially with what he continues to do. What a waste I of oxygen. I vote axe or guillotine. <laughs> Snip snap. On the body part that he seems to not know how to use properly. Yeah. Also, yes, that would actually work really well. That would solve the problem. <laughs> I'm just imagining, like, someone pulling the tip across the block so the guillotine could get down and get it. Because, <laughs> like, he wouldn't hold it there himself. Nope. <laughs> All right. Well, by 1914, Carl was out of prison and was working as a butcher. Mm-mm. He sold meat on the black market, but he also owned and operated a food stand at Berlin's Silesian Railway Terminal. This was one of Berlin's poorest neighborhoods and it had a very high crime rate so this was quite a rough neighborhood and the people who lived there were really going through it mm-hmm. and it was difficult for the police to even keep track of the people who lived there as there were many transients runaways and day laborers that passed through and it was also a hub for the new arrivals coming in from the rural areas who were desperate for work uh every article on carl makes sure to tell you that he was unattractive and dislikable and from his picture yeah (laughs) yeah gross however he was a relatively successful meat salesman so his economic position was higher than most of his neighbors i'd be questioning where the meat's from because it's black market meat yeah yeah during a time of like this is a theme (laughs) oh okay he did plug a lot of his money back into the neighborhood, but he was definitely looking towards his own self-interest. He did have a generous bone in his body. Uh, he was a regular customer of the sex workers and local drinking establishments and would also lend money to his neighbors when they had run out of other options. And so the couple who turned him into the police actually owed Carl money at the time and were also sometimes <laughs> drinking buddies with him. Wow. So they're like, you know what would be easier than paying rent this month? Getting this fucker out of here. His main victims were sex workers, so prostitution was legal in Germany. And there was a professional class, the Kontrollmatchen, sorry guys, who registered with the government and had routine medical exams. The professional sex workers may have had an advantage in this situation as the professionals had the most experience with both men and less than savory situations. And so Erica was one such professional sex worker who had agreed to some sort of sex act with Carl, but got bad vibes as they walked towards his house, calling his demeanor creepy. Creepy enough for her to call off the whole deal. Yeah. Yeah, Trust your gut. Too creepy even for money. Well, if you're starving. Still. 
You got to trust that gut. <sighs> I know. Yeah. Okay, Morris. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do this. All right. Many women didn't want the stigma of being a sex worker to follow them for the rest of their life, but they were barely scraping by as it was. So these women would occasionally trade sex for money, gifts, or food and were known as casual prostitutes. And a journalist from the time, Hans Otswald, wrote, quote, In the sooty Kulpenstrauss at the Silesian train station, poor, weathered, and wrecked creatures walk around nightly, especially on Saturdays without head covering and with blue kitchen aprons. They count on the drunken workers returning home, to whom they can offer themselves for one or two marks. Oh. It's a sad place. Yeah. Uh, the neighborhood was clued into the presence of a murderer in their midst in August 1921, when the dismembered remains of numerous unidentified women began surfacing in the Lucenstock Canal and the Engelbecken Reservoir. Carl was no means the only person who was dumping bodies in these waters, but it was a lot of dismembered women specifically being found around the same time, and so the police started to suspect that there was one culprit for these specific crimes. Okay. Reasonable. Uh-huh. The neighbors knew that Carl went through a lot of lady friends. One resident would frequent the same park as Carl, and he would say that Carl was a well-known personality in the park because, quote, he was there almost daily and always had a different friend with him. Oh. Uh, Carl lived in an apartment building, and so the other tenants had front row seats to the revolving door of women. Uh, but Carl did have a separate entrance to his apartment, so we didn't have to share the common stairway, which I would imagine would make disposal easier. Mm, yeah. This was more of a tenement house than an apartment building, and so although the other mm -hmm. tenants didn't always see Carl, they could hear Carl, especially when he would stumble home in the middle of the night after a drinking binge with a new girl on his arm. Carl preferred particularly violent sex, which the neighbors no. were also forced to hear. Ugh. They should also have been able to hear the screams. But one neighbor justified not contacting the police because cries they had heard had not been cries for help, just cries of pain. Uh. <laughs> and fortunately, domestic violence was prevalent at this period of time, and it was seen by most people as a private matter between a couple. And so it's very rare that someone would yeah. intervene yet. So Man, that's fucked. they just kind of listened. Ugh. In 1921, an inebriated Grossman had even told a drinking buddy, quote, I don't work. Just kill people and take their money. I'm a butcher by profession, but I don't slaughter cattle. I only slaughter women. Cut them into pieces and burn the pieces. I prick the horse's eyes. I cut out the dog's eyes with a knife, and I kill little children with a stone. Oh, my God. Uh, Wait, so he, he's not actually selling human meat, is he? He might be a little less likely. A lot of his bodies were going into the... um that canal but it's definitely a possibility he had meat when no one else had meat so the neighbors were fine with the screaming but they were a bit more put out by the noisiness especially mm -hmm. in the middle of the night so one night when the screams of a female visitor became too much to seep through a neighbor pouted on carl's door and told him to stop abusing this woman in response carl yelled through the door for him to shut your face Halt die schnatzel. Oh, I love that. Halt die schnatzel. What? Shut your face. Which is what I used to tell people when I was a teenager. So, you know. Mm -hmm. Shut your face. Shut your face. A rancid smell began emanating out of his apartment as well. Ugh. But when asked about the foul stench, she said that chicken meat had spoiled, which seemed reasonable enough to everyone who lived in this crowded and poorly ventilated building and in the middle of summer. So, yeah. In August 1921, the police posted public notices about the dismembered bodies being found in the canal. And finally, some of his neighbors started to suspect that Carl might have been up to something this whole time. Helene and Mannheim Itzig even bored a hole through Carl's door so that they could better observe him. Oh! And they saw neighbors. a lot of shit. What happened to none of my business? And maybe there was a reward. Oh. None of my True. business yeah. turns into my business if there's money involved, especially yeah. at this time. And we can get the stinky man out of here. Yeah, that's what apartment building <laughs> fucking reeks. 
So, Itzigs were close observers of Carl's suspicious behavior, but I guess they were waiting to be sure because they did not go to the police immediately. Okay, thanks. Or they had their own perversions. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, they're just like little looky-loos. Yes, they were hard to find porn back then. (laughs) Nor would they waste money on it, probably. (laughs) They can't afford it. Yeah, when you can't, when you're starving, I don't think porn's really the first thing on your mind. That's not the food you need. <laughs> Carl's actually caught on August 21st, 1921, after police were called to his residence because neighbors reported seeing a naked woman screaming and frantically signaling to them from a window. Oh, oh no. So it wasn't Helene and Mannheim. They were still looking through the borehole, probably. Yeah. The police arrived too late to save his last victim and burst through the door to find a naked, blood-soaked Carl standing over a naked female corpse lying on a cot. Oh my. Carl was immediately arrested. Investigators found a suspicious stash of women's clothing in Carl's closet. It, It only gets worse, as investigators would also find several trays of what appeared to be human sausage meat in the kitchen. Oh, God. And a reminder that Carl is basically a hot dog salesman at the railway station and a meat vendor oh, on the no. black market. Oh, so he's kind of like Mr. Joe Metheny and his sandwiches. And I'm pretty sure <sighs> in the All That's Interesting article at the very end is like, if you like this article, read out what about Joe Metheny. <laughs> um, You're like, no, no. Been there, done that. Uh, so the railway station, where's little hot dog stand was, was a prime area for all types of sex workers to congregate. So his food stand was right in the thick of it. He was also right there. So when the single young women coming into the city from the country looking for work, Carl would be right there to be the first person they met. Yeah, of course. They were alone. They hadn't had time to make social ties in this new community. And so they were especially vulnerable to a man like Carl. Mm-hmm. And he was in a position to be the first person that these women met as they stepped off the train. Carl would start a conversation, feeling out if they were alone and new to the city, then ask if they were looking for work. When they would say yes, Carl would say, what luck? I am looking for a housekeeper. Weird. Oh my God. Uh. Sometimes he actually did use them as a housekeeper for a bit before drugging and raping them. Oh, Jesus. And he didn't kill all of them either. He actually let a lot of them go because he was confident that they would not go to the police. He was right. They did not for a number of reasons, not least of which included not wanting the police to think that they were sex workers. Mm -hmm. Right, because that also brings punishment on themselves. Actually, probably not punishment, but they would have to register. And so that's what they would want to do. Because prostitution was illegal, but they wanted... Yeah, they wanted to know who it was. You were doing it. Yeah. Oh, I see. It's the Germans. They need lists of everything. Yeah, I know. That makes sense. And the second thing, they were also afraid of being cited for living unregistered in Carl's apartment. Because all city residents were required to register their address with the local police. Okay. Ah. So, two lists... They weren't on and they didn't want to go on, I guess. And Hmm. embarrassment probably played a pretty big role in their silence as well. Especially some of these drugged rave women were, it was pretty brutal. I'm not going to get into it, but like, I see how they wouldn't want to talk about it. Mm -hmm. Carl was the one who would go to the police, accusing his housekeepers of stealing from him. But he went so often that the police got tired of his frequent visits. You again. God, fucking go away, Carl. Carl's trial began on July 2nd, 1922. Multiple surviving victims testified on the stand, and it was alleged that Carl burst out laughing during the court proceedings. Oh. He then took matters into his own hands and hung himself in his jail cell on July 5th. We do not know how many victims Carl actually murdered. Sounds like a fucking lot. Probably a fucking lot. He went to trial for the murder of four people as the police found the body of his last victim. And then by analyzing bloodstains and whatnot in the apartment, they estimated that an additional three women had been killed in the previous couple weeks. Gross. It has been suggested that Carl killed up to 50 women who had come to his apartment and would leave as dismembered body parts. 50? And hot dogs. And hot dogs. Uh, 
Is this a bad time to tell you that I tried uh, the hot dog with the mayonnaise? No, I love hot dogs. This will never turn me off. Hannah up. loves hot dogs. This will never turn me off hot dogs. Hot dog Hannah. How do you feel about the hot dog of the mayonnaise? It was fine. I mean, it's still like, I'm, I really love like mustard. Uh, so that's like my go-to, but like it wasn't bad. Folks, this is a POA throwback where I got completely shit on because my favorite hot dog topping is mayonnaise. And I'll put a little relish on it. Dill or sweet? Whatever's around, I guess. Okay. But, like, the boys completely shit all over me for that particular take. Although Neil tried it and Neil did like it. It was good. I mean, I don't think I would have a hot dog that way every single time. But, like... I do complain... It was tasty. Though, because the Costco hot dog bar, they don't have mayonnaise as a condiment. Oh, no. Which makes me mad. But I can just take it home with me. That's true. Yeah, you're close enough to I live super close. They have relish, but anyway. Hot dogs are still fine, guys. (laughs) Okay. <laughs> There's like nothing that could dampen my love of hot dogs. <laughs> okay. Sarah knows. Like two years ago yeah. for my birthday when we were super quarantined. I bought like two different kinds of hot dogs and had like a whole spread and she was like, I was fine with whatever cheapy hot dog. Or we went to, when we went to Fenway too, we, we each Oh my bought, God, yeah. Did we get two each? I can't remember. And I was like taking a picture. I was like dressing mine up and taking a picture of it. And I was like, okay, let's get our like hot dog selfie in Fenway. And hers is like already halfway gone. I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> when I was in college, I got the nickname Hot Dog Hannah because <laughs> I had gotten up to the Seattle area for the weekend with some friends and we were like picking up people to come back down. And so we went to pick up my friend's boyfriend at his parents' house, and they gave us Costco hot dogs before we left. And so we had him in the car. We drove about two minutes, and his mom called and asked, like, how are the hot dogs? And they're like, oh, Hannah already ate hers. So they just called me hot. (laughs) His mom called me hot dog Hannah, and then that stuck for the fucking ever. Oh, no. She's still hot dog Hannah to this day. It is. I mean, it's not the worst nickname. It makes sense. Well, if you ever find yourself in Tacoma, Washington, there is a bar called The Red Hot. It's a hot dog bar. And so their whole menu consists of like these specialty hot dogs. Fuck yeah. Oh, that's cool. My favorite was the BLT dog. So it's essentially like a bacon, lettuce, tomato with a hot dog. That's cool. Mm-hmm. And then they've got a ton of taps, local beers, and then they've got some bottled stuff and then, you know, Ranier's and... I think a Ranier and a hot dog sounds really good. Ugh. Yeah, amazing. But it's a great little bar and it's fantastic. I love it. That's all I want. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, no. This is Hot Dog Corner with Hot Dog Hannah. This will come up again. <laughs> okay. All right. So that was Carl Grossman. Barf. Yuck. Next. And this is the one I have the most information about. Okay. Fritz Harmon, who was born in the- Fritz? Fritz. Fritz. On the Fritz, Harmon. I was just going to say on the Fritz. (laughs) (laughs) Well, something was on the Fritz in his brain. Fritz was born October 25th, 1879, to a doting mother and a father who was best known as Sulky Ollie. So. Sulky. Sulky. (laughs) So, got a nice grumpy, grumpy Gus as a father. And then a doting mother. Uh, Fritz was the youngest of six children and his mother's favorite. So he did get spoiled quite a bit. Although I don't know why he was his mother's favorite. Because, like, he kind of broke her during the birth. And she was, like, bedridden for, like, the next 12 years. Because she tried so hard for him. I was like, you're definitely not my favorite, Fritz. Prime specimen. And I was like, fuck you. Wasn't Eric Edgar Cook's mom, wasn't she like, oh, he's my favorite? Yes, but he also didn't break her vagina. True. She wasn't bedridden at least. It was, he was her favorite, which doesn't always mm-hmm. work out very well. But Fritz's mom was weird at choosing favorites, is what I have to say. Yeah. Uh, as a child, Fritz preferred playing with dolls and other quote-unquote feminine activities, and mostly avoided other children, especially boys. Because <laughs> he's not their favorite. He will be later. Oh. When he was eight years old, he was molested by one of his teachers, but he would never discuss this incident in detail. Uh, At 16, he enrolled in a military academy at Brysock. That's definitely not right. And he actually did quite well. However, he also began to black out and lose consciousness and was eventually diagnosed with epilepsy. So he was discharged due to medical reasons and returned to his hometown of Hanover. It's kind of a bummer because he was really actually doing quite well in the army. 
Okay. Uh, he got a job at his father's cigar company and also committed his first sexual offenses, which involved luring young boys to a private area and then sexually assaulting them. Oh. He was arrested in July 1896 and was seen by a psychiatrist who declared that Fritz was incurably deranged and unfit to stand trial. So he was sent to a mental institution in May 1897 and was ordered to stay there indefinitely. January 1898, he escaped. Oh no! And probably with assistance from his mother, fled to Zurich, yeah. where he lived for almost two years. While in Switzerland, he made the acquaintance of and got engaged to a woman named Erna Lowert, who got pregnant, but Fritz became uninterested in the whole situation and Erna got an abortion. Oh. They stayed on good terms, though, somehow. So, okay. you know. In 1900, he was ordered to return to Germany to perform his compulsory military service. And I guess they just forgot about that whole escaping from the mental institution thing. No big deal. And the epilepsy so thing. So that he wasn't of sound... Yeah. It's like they're just going to take whoever they can at that point. It's 1900, though. They didn't need to take everyone they could. He did once again do quite well with the structure of military training, had these periods of dizziness and unconsciousness, and was eventually hospitalized for over four months before being discharged from the military in 1902 as he was unsuitable for military service and work. Okay. He kind of already discharged him was like, because he was unfit. We already did this, but we did it again. Yeah. Repeat. I wonder if it was like another, like the same doctor, like, haven't I seen like, you before? You familiar. You look familiar. <laughs> Double stamped out of the military. Uh, since he was discharged because of a medical condition, Fritz got a monthly pension of 21 gold marks. Hmm. He went back to Erna, and uh, she came back to him, I guess. She came to Germany. And he tried on and off to get a job and work. He went back to the cigar factory for a bit, tried out being an insurance salesman, and then opened a fishmongery with Erna. <laughs> Erna got... A fishmongery. I know. Oh, so fun. <laughs> Erna got pregnant for a second time, but terminated their engagement when Fritz accused her of having an affair with a student. Oh. The fishmongery wasn't her name, so she just told him to get the fuck out. Okay. That's nice. That's nice. I'll take the building then. She probably terminated the pregnancy too, to be honest, but that was never actually said, but I would assume. Uh, Shortly after that, in 1904, Fritz was officially classified as disabled and unable to work by the 10th army and his monthly pension was slightly increased so i think this just means now he's not only medically unfit for military service he's medically unfit for any type of career okay during the same time fritz and his father butted heads quite a lot sulky oli <laughs> uh, 1903 his father started legal proceedings against his son wanting him to be returned to the mental institution so sulky oli remembered and was like remember this this, this yeah. thing that happened? <laughs> you fucking escaped, you dude. Here? We're all fine here? Uh, his father would claim that Fritz had been issuing death threats and threatening to blackmail his father, but the court found no corroborating evidence for this. Fritz was seen by another psychiatrist who found that Fritz was, quote, morally inferior, but not mentally unstable, and he was not sent to the mental institution. I like how it's like, in, like not ancient history, but it's like, pretty far back there and yet like they're getting multiple opinions oh yeah mm-hmm. i just i huh. really like the anyway. language of the um psychiatrist back in the day you are morally <laughs> inferior sir but not mentally unstable so we won't put you in the institution over the next 10 years fritz would supplement his pension by petty theft between 1905 and 1912, he spent the majority of his time in and out of jail for charges such as larceny, embezzlement, and assault. In late 1913, he was arrested on burglary charges, and a search of his home found evidence that linked him to several other burglaries, so he was sent to prison for five years, and thus did not fight in World War One. Oh, okay. okay. Well, they've already discharged him twice. <laughs> they might have pulled him back for World War One at the very end, though, you know? You just need a body. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you can have this one. Uh, after being released from prison, he moved back to Hanover and reverted back to his criminal ways. He was able to become a police informant, though, partially because he would set up his wow. criminal associates. Yeah. Fucking snitch. He's a fucking snitch. He would tell his associates that he would fence or store stolen items for them at his house and then notify the police who would raid the property at the appropriate time and just arrest everybody. Oh, Jesus. 
and the Hanover police would come to see Fritz as a reliable source of information about the criminal element in the city and an important cog in their machine. Oh, fuck. Between 1918 and 1924, Fritz would commit at least 24 murders. Whoa. Jesus. Although it is suspected that he murdered a minimum of 27 people. The fuck? But he's an escapee, and they never, ever punished him for escaping from the fucking hospital. Not like they just forgot about that one, I guess. That, like, it burnt down and lost the records? Jesus. They're like, well, you earned it. Have fun. Oh, good job. If you could escape, you must be sane. (laughs) That was your test. (laughs) Yeah, that's the only way you get out of here is if you can successfully escape. (laughs) Oh. All of his victims were male between the ages of 10 and 22. No. His method of murder involved biting into his victim's Adam's apple. Oh, God. Often while strangling the young man. Jeez. Fritz would refer to biting through his victim's neck as his love bites. No. 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 Yeah, I had to step away for the mic to give you time to react because that's gross. No. Ugh. All of his victims were dismembered and the majority were thrown in the Lion River. Fritz would keep the personal possessions of his victims and either use them himself, sell them on the black market, or even give them as gifts to his friends. He also may have sold meat on the black market, but there is no physical evidence to confirm this. Okay. But he was killing for six years, so, you know, there was no physical evidence at the time he was arrested. Uh, His first victim was a young boy named Friedel Roth, who had run away from home on September 25th 1918, leaving a note for his mother telling her that he would be back when, quote, she was nice again. (gasps) That sounds like something that kids would still do. Oh, 100%. Oh, my God. It's really cute. I'll be back when you decide to be nice to me again. It's very cute, but it is terribly. (laughs) I'm putting myself in timeout outside on the run. Oh, my God. So when his father came into the city to try to find his boy, he was told that Friedel had last been seen with Fritz Harmon. Mr. Roth brought this information to the police, who were at first somewhat reluctant to go after their star informer. However, under pressure from the Roth family, the police raided Fritz's home in October 1918, where they found Fritz in the company of a semi-nude 13-year-old boy. Ugh. Alive. But still. Oh. But still. but still, Fritz was charged with sexual assault and battery of a minor and sentenced to nine months in prison. Fuck, Fuck. you. That's awful. No. Uh, the police also searched his apartment but didn't find anything. And they might not have searched very hard because Fritz would later tell detectives that he had Friedel Ross' head wrapped in newspaper and stored behind his stove. Oh. Uh, and they didn't, they didn't, they didn't smell They didn't find there. that or smell it. Oh. After being released from prison in 1919, he met 18-year-old Hans Granz. Hans Granz? Hans Granz. And I uh, kept typoing this as Hans Glanz, but it's it's, oh, no. it's Hans Granz. Something about Hans appealed to Fritz, and shortly after they met, he invited the boy to come live with him. I guess young man. Hans became Fritz's lover and perhaps accomplice, although that gets a little murky, but Hans never received a love bite from Fritz. So, something about it. Fritz was completely smitten with Hans, and Hans was able to use that to his advantage and manipulate the older man at times, but Fritz put up with it saying, quote, I had to have someone I meant everything to. Romantic. Okay. Mm. Whether Hans participated in any of the murders is unclear, but it's hard to imagine that he didn't know about them, as Fritz would always bring his victims to his home. According to Fritz, after his second murder, he had put the naked corpse on his bed. When Hans had arrived unannounced, uh, Hans saw the body and only said, when shall I come back again? Oh, like, I see it's a bad time. Oh, you seem busy. (laughs) I'll come back later. Oh my god. The majority of the murders were committed in 1923 and 1924. On May 17, 1924, some children playing near the Lyne River found a human skull that had evidence of knife wounds. Mm. It was taken to the police, who were skeptical at first as to whether a murder had been committed, or they thought maybe it had just been left there by grave robbers, or was a mm-hmm. very bad, poor taste prank by some medical students. Oh. 
Well, a second skull was found on May 29th, and shortly after that, a group of boys found a sack of human bones in a field. Yeah. Uh-huh. And on June... Yeah, something's amiss. On June 8th, the residents of Hanover did their own search around the Line River and found more human bones. Ugh. And so in the face of all of these bones, the police did finally drag the river in mid-June. They discovered... I don't know if this is a typo. They did... I think it's 500. They uncovered more than 500 human bones and sections of bodies. Wow. I said 50, but I'm pretty sure it's 500 because there's a lot of bones in the body. Yeah. A doctor would later determine that this assortment of bones belonged to at least 22 people. Oh, my God. Suspicion immediately fell onto Fritz Harmon, who had 15 prior convictions of sexual assault of a minor and had been linked to the disappearance of Friedel Roth. And they Mm -hmm. also knew that he sold clothing on the black market. So police began surveillance of Fritz, and on June 22nd, he was observed prowling around Hanover's uh, central station. He was then seen arguing with a 15-year-old boy named Carl Fromm, and then Fritz himself approached the police, asking them to arrest Carl for traveling with forged (laughs) documents. Carl was arrested and taken to the police station, and... Probably what saved his life. Yeah. Yeah. They left Fritz there, though. So... Carl went to the police station, told them that he had lived with Fritz for four days and had been repeatedly raped by him. So Fritz Harmon was arrested the next day and charged with sexual assault. (laughs) When the police searched Fritz's apartment, they found the flooring, walls, and bedding were extensively bloodstained. They also found hundreds of articles of clothing and personal belongings of the missing boys in the apartment. At first, Fritz maintained his innocence, saying that the bloodstains were from his work as a black market butcher. Theoretically true. Yeah, but like, where were these said blood stains? Right, if it's on the fucking ceiling and your bed, if it's like it's spattered on your bed, yeah, that's not for like, like get out of here. It's not in your kitchen, like on your backsplash. So who butchers a fucking like pig in their own house? Do that outside. Yeah, or at work. Work. Well, if you're a black market butcher, you don't have a work. Oh, I guess that's true. Also, if he's a black market butcher, he's not afraid of telling the police, like, yeah, I'm a black market butcher. I'm doing this on the DL. Well, it's better than being a murderer of 22 boys. Yeah. Right. But so for their per- for their perspective, though, they're like... They might have already known that because he was a criminal informant. And he yeah, has leaks they know he's shady to all the criminal fuck. people in Hanover, so... He also told them that he had all the clothing because he was a used clothes dealer. I'm Goodwill. Yes, he is the first Goodwill. All this evidence was actually pretty circumstantial at this point, but Fritz would only hold out for about a week before confessing to raping, killing, and dismembering many young men. (sighs) Fritz would claim that he never intended to kill any of his victims, and on the stand during his trial would say, quote, I never intended to hurt those youngsters, but I knew that if I got going, something would happen. And that made me cry. I would throw myself on top of those boys and bite through the Adam's apple, throttling them at the same time. While crying, maybe? That's a lot. Oh my god. He then said that he would be overwhelmed with guilt and would cover the dead boy's face with a towel. He also insisted that he hated the act of dismemberment, saying, quote, I always hated doing it, but I couldn't help it. My passion was so much stronger than the horror of the cutting and chopping. You're a butcher. I know. I mean, I going to speak for the majority of butchers right now as somebody who wished they had taken a butchery class. Most butchers probably don't want to dismember a human body. There's still a taboo there. Your brain would be like, this is bad. I don't know. Just the way he words things. Chris's trial began on December 4th, 1924. He was charged with the murder of 27 boys. Fritz represented himself. Oh, fuck. Uh, he did admit to being responsible for 14 of the deaths but claimed he wasn't sure about the remaining 13. He was especially certain that he hadn't killed one of these boys because he thought that that boy was far too ugly to interest me. Oh, fuck Which off. he said, well, the boy's father was in the courtroom. Oh, oh my, my gosh. God. Yeah, no, not that one. Not that ugly, fuck. Fritz was nonchalant during the trial, at one point complaining that there were too many women in the courtroom. And the judge was quite apologetic when he told Fritz that he had no power to keep them out. (laughs) Wow. Another time, one of the victim's mothers became too distraught on the stand to testify. Fritz got bored and asked if he could smoke a cigar. His request was granted. Wow. Well, kind of a... It's back in the day. You're in Germany. Yeah. On December 19th, 1924, the court found 
Fritz Harmon, guilty of 24 of the 27 murders and sentenced to death by beheading. Prior to his sentencing, he had addressed the court and said, quote, Condemn me to death. I ask only for justice. I am not mad. Make it short. Make it soon. Deliver me from this life, which is a torment. I will not petition for mercy, nor will I appeal. I want to pass just one more merry night in my cell, coffee, cheese, and cigars, after which I shall curse my father and go to my execution as if it were a wedding. Um, Wow. Okay. When his sentence was read, Fritz told the court, quote, I accept the verdict fully and freely. I shall go to the decapitating block joyfully and happily. He then demanded, quote, I want to be executed on the marketplace. On the tombstone must be put this inscription. Here lies mass murderer Harbin. No. Neither of those requests would be met. Good. Like, dude, you don't have a say in this. No. However, the remains of his victims would be buried together in a communal grave, and a large memorial with the names and ages of the victims would be placed over the grave. Oh, that's so sad. Yeah. I mean, but a lot of them, though, I mean, if their bones can't be, because they don't have the technology to be able to identify. Oh, yeah, like put it back together. Right, yeah. Like, yeah, for sure. So, I'm not sure if he got the cheese. But the night before his execution, he was given an expensive cigar and some Brazilian coffee. Last meal. Kind of terrible. A cigar and coffee sounds weird to me. Both burnt. Yeah. He was beheaded by guillotine on April 15th, 1925. His last words were, quote, I am guilty, gentlemen, but hard though it may be, I want to die as a man. I repent, but I do not fear death. (laughs) Whatever, Fritz. After his beheading, sections of his brain were removed for forensic analysis. Good. Uh, Traces of meningitis were observed, but none of the sections were permanently preserved. Fritz's whole head was preserved in formaldehyde and kept at the Gottingen Medical School until 2014 when it was cremated. Yeah. Wow. Seeing his head, I would have totally looked at it. Ugh. I mean, there's got to be photos somewhere. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. She's like, yeah, I've got them on the <laughs> desktop right now. <laughs> Hi, FBI agent. How you doing, Drew? He's like, oh, shit, Hannah. <laughs> Hannah, stop. He's like, really? I didn't look for any nudes this time, okay? Okay. Perfect. Uh, not quite done here. We, we need to deal with Hans Grams. On his confession, Fritz did implicate Hans, saying that he had insisted on some of the murders. So Hans was arrested on July 8th, 1924, and charged with being an accessory to murder. His trial was combined with Fritz's trial, and he was found guilty of incitement to murder and sentenced to death by beheading in relation to the murder of Adolf Hannibal, with an additional 12 years imprisonment imposed for being an accessory to murder in the case of Fritz Witting. Hans lodged an appeal, but was rejected. However, he was spared the chopping block when a letter written by Fritz Harmon and addressed to Hans's father was found. It was a four-page letter that summarized their relationship and professed Hans's innocence. Quote, Hans Granz has been sentenced unjustly, and that's the fault of the police and also because I wanted revenge. Put yourself in Granz's position. He will question the existence of the Lord and justice because of me. May Hans Granz forgive me for my revenge and humanity. Hans Granz? I know. So on the basis of this letter, Hans was retried in January 1926. He did tell the judge that he expected to be acquitted this time, but he was once again found guilty of aiding and abetting Fritz Harmon in both cases. However, his sentence was reduced to two concurrent 12-year sentences. After he had served his 12-year sentence, he was released right smack into the middle of Nazi Germany, and they placed him in the Sachsenhausen concentration camp until the end of World War II, and then after being released from the concentration camp, Hans Granz would return to Hanover and live there until his death in 1975. Wow. (laughs) I'm assuming Hans was placed in the concentration camp because of his homosexuality. Yeah. And overall, this case did not paint a pleasant picture of homosexuality in Germany. So following this trial, there was a rise in homophobia. And one historian noted, quote, it split the gay rights movement irreparably, fed every prejudice against homosexuality, and provided new fodder for conservative adversaries of legal sex reform. Lastly, 
We have Carl Denke. Another Carl? Carl with a K Carl. this time. Oh, Carl the K. Affectionately known as Papa Denke to the townsfolk of what was then known as Munsterberg Silencia in the kingdom of Prussia. It's now Zeibice, Poland? I'm not saying any of that right, but sorry. He was born on February 12th in either 1860 or 1870. I've seen it both ways. Oh, wow. That's, it's usually That's like a, one or two years, not 10. Well, there are some people who are like, it's my 10th anniversary of my 30th birthday. Oh, Carl. Papa Denke was just 30 for the rest of his life. Yep. He was born to a family of wealthy and respected farmers. Something went off and he ran away from home at the age of 12 to become an apprentice gardener. When his father died, Carl used his inheritance to buy a small parcel of land and tried to start his own farm. But when that venture failed, he moved to Munsterberg. Munsterberg. Whatever. Munsterberg. He became a well-liked citizen of Munsterberg and seemed perfectly normal to the townsfolk. He owned a small store which sold leather goods such as suspenders and belts and jars of pickled pork. Like suspenders and belts and like lederhosen? <laughs> no. no. <laughs> Shoelaces, baby. He volunteered at his local church where he'd play the organ and carry the crosses for local funerals. And he would invite transients into his home for a warm meal. And so the citizens of Moosterborg thought he was a pretty nice old man. Until December 21st, 1924, when the real side of Carl Denke was finally revealed. A coachman heard cries for help that seemed to come from Carl's apartment. Vinchez Olivier, a homeless man, stumbled out into the hallway, blood streaming down his face from an ugly wound on his scalp. Oh no. As he oh, collapsed, no. Vinchez told the coachman that Vatadenke, Papa Denke a German, had attacked Papa him Denke. with an axe. Oh. Wow. Denke was quickly arrested, questioned, and he told the police that Vinchez had attacked him. Carl had used the axe in self-defense. Uh, seems possible. He said, he said. Yeah. But when Carl was put into a holding cell, he hung himself that very evening. Oh. Oh. <laughs> so police quickly, very quickly figured out why when they searched Carl's apartment. Inside, they found the identification for 12 traveling journeymen and assorted items of male clothing, most of which would oh, not no. have fit Carl. In the kitchen, they came across two tubs of meat, which were pickling and brine. And they also found lots and lots of human bones. And there's a detailed list on Wikipedia. I won't say them all, but it was a lot. Like the ham bones connected to (laughs) I mean, ham or hand, because ham bone would just be straight up femur. Well, there were 16 femurs with one pair of remarkably strong ones. Two pairs of very so thin ones. So that's a minimum ones. of eight people then, because... Well, no, no. Six pairs and two left femurs. <gasps> oh, no! Yeah. So, this is kind of the grossest one. A pair of okay. lower elbows and radii, of which the extremities still remained well connected. Oh, no. Ooh. A lot of toe bones. No. <sighs> Carl had also kept a detailed ledger with the names, dates, and weights of the bodies he had pickled, dated back to 1921. Takes good lab notes. He was, yeah. There were 31 names entered into this ledger, including Vinchez Olivier's name. Based on the large amount of body parts found in his home, Carl's body count was estimated to be as much as 42 or more. Wow. Wow. It seems pretty likely that he sold the flesh of his victims under the guise of pickled pork. Oh, long pork. Long pig. Long pig, yeah. He may have also pulled an edgine, and his leather goods may have actually been made from human skin. Whoa. Oh, no. Although, not every account has this detail, so I'm not sure if that part's true or not, but okay, he's a pretty fucked up dude, so it could be true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Since Carl killed himself, and I'm using killed himself here, not died by a suicide, because- He killed himself to get out of being punished, not because of a mental illness. Yeah. Since he killed himself before he could be questioned for real, we'll never know exactly why Carl felt the need to murder all of these people. Uh, He killed both men and women, and unlike Fritz Harmon, it doesn't seem like there was a sexual component to his murders. Carl's first victim was Ida Lawner in 1903, so he could have been murdering on and off for more than 20 years, and his victim count could be much higher than 42. Damn. Wow. And those are the first five 
murderers slash meat vendors of Weimar Germany. Oh. Meat vendor. No. No astrology for this. I'll, I'll bring some for Peter. Okay. I did say beware of sad. Fleisch platten. For meat platter? Meat platter? Fleisch platten? So literal. It is flesh. Yeah, so when, when Scott and I were in Heidelberg, we went to a beer garden and we wanted to try all of the springtime schnitzel and mm-hmm. all their like seasonal meats that they had to offer. So we ordered und Fleischplatte. <laughs> it was really good. I have to say I really like Vice Versed. I'm going to say it was probably not human at this point in time. I would really hope not. I would sincerely <laughs> hope not. Have we had the discussion about Starden, Burden, Harden, Bart? That sounds familiar. <laughs> you yell at a cat or something? Uh-huh. Yeah. I just, anytime we talk about Germany, I'm going to bring this up because it's the funniest thing on the planet. So definitely, listeners, if you haven't heard of Starden, Burden, Harden, Bart, Google it and you'll get some really good laughs out of videos. It's like essentially how to call a cat and like cats don't necessarily respond in other languages but anytime you aggressively say starden burden harden bart then they look at you like what the fuck <laughs> what'd you say to me <laughs> well they might be just looking at you they're like why are you yelling <laughs> i know right i was looking at it and it's loosely translated to mean a few different things which could be i love you oh hey that's a lot of words hey, hey. <laughs> Or come here, so, or maybe a little bit of all, all of those them. together. I don't know, but all right. Yeah. I do have a little bit of astrology. No, I'm sorry. I do have a lot of, <laughs> of astrology. Nice. For next week. Last week was our birthday week, and it was a beautiful week. And this week is a turd. There's a real shit storm oh. happening. Right now, when we're recording this, we're heading into eclipse season. Stuff's going to retrograde all the time. Like, everything's breaking, guys. Yeah. Not Including good. my brain and Hannah's ability to, to say, say numbers? specific dates. Yeah. And also just my general <laughs> life in general. Oh. Mine's my shoulder. So Everything's breaking. It's all broken. So this episode airs on Monday, May 9th. And on Tuesday, May 10th. Dun, dun, dun. Is this Mercury retrograde? Uh, retrograde. Oh. Mercury goes retrograde in Gemini. And I think it stays there long enough that it will be in retrograde when I give my exit seminar. No. Oh. All month. Mm-hmm. So if you're not familiar, retrograde, especially in Gemini, is... It's a It's bitch. a lot. I was just going to say, yeah, it's a bitch. Ah. Uh. Shit's about to get derailed rather fucking quickly. Don't make any huge life decisions if you can spare it. A lot of misunderstandings could happen. No travel. Take a little pause. Breathe out before you get into a fight with someone. Don't buy anything that's going to last more than five years. Don't sign a contract. (laughs) Don't buy a car, especially if uh, we're going to Mercury and Gemini. Car salesmen have to be Geminis. (laughs) (laughs) Or Aries. Very true. Me or my mom. That's actually true. I'm pretty sure you or your mom could sell me a car. I bet you we could. (laughs) I don't don't need one. Actually, all my Capricorn Earth energy will be like, no. But also on May 10th, Jupiter enters Aries. And this is a... Oh, no. Well, this isn't as bad as you think. So Jupiter is kind of the planet of optimism and success. So in Aries, we get that ultra confidence, right? Which can be very dangerous during a Mercury retrograde, though. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I'm trying to make it sound nicer than it it probably (laughs) will be. But it is a time to embrace your personal power. We do have all of the power when it comes to, you know, making good decisions and and moving forward in our future. So it's really important to just take a breath because we're in retrograde and think about things, right? You might not want to communicate your plans. Maybe just start developing Hold those these in your heart plans. a little bit. Write them yeah. down for yourself. Right? Don't, Don't talk go, about them. Not it yet. It might not be the time to brag about what you think you will do in the future. No. Just zip it for a minute and wait till we get out of retrograde and then you can unleash that. But Friday, 
May 15th. I'm going to say if you can or you have some sort of leave or PTO, take the fucking day off. It's going to be a fucking shit show. Number one, we're getting a full lunar eclipse in Scorpio. In Scorpio, I remember. Oh, fuck. For those of you who may not know, Scorpios are super intense. They are emotional. They're emotional. As a Scorpio Mm -hmm. Venus, I've realized I'm actually quite sensitive, but I I don't want anyone to know about it. So you kind of lash out. (laughs) So. This lunar eclipse is going to be extremely emotionally draining and we're going to feel disconnected. So use the energy of the moon to kind of start to let stuff go that you can't control and just stay home because you're going to feel like complete and, honestly, and utter fucking Scorpio, shit. Scorpio, especially a lunar eclipse, would be a good time to do some like shadow work. Look at the things in your life that you're not as proud of or past Mm -hmm. moments that may have caused some trauma and start addressing those. Ooh, yeah, that's a very great point. And also on Friday the 15th, Ceres, is that how you say it? Ceres? Ceres, enters cancer. So Ceres is the asteroid of nurturance. And this is going to bring a wave of comfort and like home vibes. That's why also like just stay just home. home. <laughs> just stay home. Cancer stay can home. be very nurturing. Yeah, and it's going to be a time for sticking close to your family and loved ones. So when you're feeling this emotionally draining energy from the eclipse, you might need, you know, a loved one to, I don't know, make you a grilled cheese sandwich. I don't know. <laughs> Love it. And then also on oh Friday, God. May 15th, I know it's so sucky, <laughs> the sun in Taurus is going to be square, which nobody likes, with Saturn in Aquarius. And this is a stubborn, mm, right? That Taurus stubbornness. So this is a stubborn combo that is going to make it super hard to work with or get along with anybody else. Okay, stay home. So, oh God. Just stay the fuck home. It's not worth it. If you've got the time to take off, like, I'll say this it a could, good day to binge it Netflix. It could also make you stubbornly cling. To some of those things that aren't so great for you, which the moon is yep, tell- exactly. trying to tell you to release. So it's a very contradictory day. It is. So stay home, eat some comfort food, or have one of your loved ones make you some comfort food, and just, you know, relax. It's a great day to check out all of those awesome documentaries Hannah mentioned at the beginning of our episode. Yeah. And then... Maybe Saturday or Sunday. We're not going to hold Mercury Retrograde against any of you guys. So we still want to hear from you. You can reach out to us. We are on Twitter at True Trine, on Instagram at True Crime Trine, Facebook, TCT Podcast. You can email us directly at truecrimetrine at gmail.com. And then check out our website, www.truecrimetrine.com. You just mentioned Twitter. I'm very, very salty about what's happening right now with Twitter. We might not be on Twitter very much longer. Instagram is my jam. I'm better at it anyway. Twitter's probably the best way to find new people. But fuck Elon Musk. So starting Burton Harden Bart. <laughs> Great quote. I love you. Hey, look at me. Come here. Yes. Nailed it. <laughs> All the things. Ah. Uh, bye. Bye. Music for our podcast was handcrafted by the talented and creative minds of Mike Warren and Pete Ortega. Our artwork was imagined and skillfully designed by the lovely Sarah Guest. As for production, well, they call me post-production. Show notes are available upon request. Just email truecrimetrine at gmail.com. Join us again next week for another tantalizing episode.